All right. Well, good morning, Veritas. Heard a couple out there. I know the weather's not great, but it's, it's that time of year, isn't it? Um, no, I'm really delighted to take you through the word today. We're going to continue this truly mini sermon series on mastering the restart, as Mark talked about, to start the service. Um, and it's really a perfect time to do it. The, the turn of the calendar year is really a unique time of year. It kind of signals um, a good time to make a turn in our own lives, right? If there's changes we need or want to make, what better time to do it than now? Um, optimism is, is sort of brimming this time of year, and we need it, right? We're imperfect, we're sinful human beings. Um, we're prone to things like apathy or complacency, right? Ryan talked about that last week. Um, laziness even, Jeff talked about that in our, our series on Hebrews that we've been going through. Um, and so, like Mark said, we need to, to master the restart. These, these habits that go along with following Jesus Christ. Uh, last week, Ryan focused on this habit of remembering. His big idea, experts at forgetting need constant reminders. He focused on these very great and precious promises of God that we need to remind ourselves of to take part in the divine nature. This week, we're going to focus on a different habit, the habit of guarding. So the big idea today, if you're taking notes, is this. An unguarded mind leads to a dying heart. An unguarded mind leads to a dying heart. We're calling this mini-series Growing in Grace. Uh, this theme is all over Second Peter. Um, if he's got one message to the audience he's writing to, it's just never stop growing. Never stop growing in your walk with Jesus. And it's really important to notice how closely what goes on in our minds is related to the growth and transformation in our hearts. This theme is, is all over scripture. Probably one of the more famous verses is Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed in your heart, in other words, by the renewing of your mind. Peter jumps all over this. In 1 Peter 1, 13, he says, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded. Not without alcohol in your system, but thinking clearly he's talking about, Right? 2 Peter 1.13, he says, I think it is right as long, as long as I'm in this bodily tent to wake you up with a reminder. He's trying to inject some urgency into the way that we're thinking as Christians. And then in 2 Peter 3.17, a verse at the end of the passage we'll look at today, he, he calls us to be on our guard, which, as we'll find out, largely has to do with the way we're thinking as Christians. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Peter 3. We're going to Wake, uh, work our way through much of this chapter. So let's start out with verses one and two here. Remembering that we're working on this habit of guarding our minds. So this is what Peter says. He says, dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you can recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. So in verse one, when he says, I wanna stir up your sincere reminder, he's saying, listen, I want you to have undistorted thinking. I don't want your thinking to be contaminated by untruths or lies. Uh, I, I wanna make sure you, you sort of see and understand, you process the world around you with a clear mind. And why? 
Well, he answers that question in verse 2. He says, well, I, I want you to be able to recall, sounds a lot like remember, right, from last week. I want you to recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Remember what? Well, when he says the words of the Old Testament prophets and the command of Jesus, that's kind of a way of saying the entire Bible. But he's probably focusing a little bit more narrowly on a couple things. One, prophecies of the second coming of Jesus. And we'll understand why in just a minute. That's going to have to do with the context of this chapter. But two, the moral demands of the gospel. This has been a theme in Second Peter. Ryan hit on this last week. Peter's kind of saying, in essence, if you really believe in the gospel, if you put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, you're going to live a certain kind of life. And Ryan drew that out last week. It's going to have endurance, right? It's going to have self-control, knowledge, brotherly affection, things like this. But what else could be included in what we're to remember? It's got to be the promises he talked about last week, right? Chapter 1, verse 4. He wants us to be able to recall easily these precious promises that God provides us. So understand one of the implications of what Peter is saying here. If you're going to live out last week's sermon, you have to live out this week's sermon. If your thinking is distorted, if it's contaminated, if it's impure, you're not going to be able to recall God's promises that guard your faith. So we know that. We are to guard our minds, but how are we to guard our minds? Well, Peter's going to go on to this. Look at the next two verses in chapter 3 here. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. So here's the first key to guarding your minds. Be aware of scoffers. Be aware of scoffers. Notice how he starts out verse 3. When he says above all, falling right off the heels of this exhortation to guard our minds, above all, this is of critical importance, he's saying. A scoffer is anyone who sort of scorns and despises God and his word. And when he says that they're coming in the last days, well, he means right now, right? We're in the last days right now before Jesus comes back. And he's going to give five characteristics of these scoffers. And I want to give them all to you up front. So you have a picture in your mind of these people that you want to be on your guard against. In verse three, well, he says they regard God as worthless, right? That's what it means to scoff at something, to regard it as worthless. But he also says they follow their own evil desires, Kind of the opposite of what Peter's been talking about in this letter. Certainly the opposite of what Ryan drew out last week for us. Verses 5 through 7, he will say that they have distorted thinking and they don't believe God's promises. The exact opposite of what Peter wants us to take away from this letter. Verse 16, he's going to say that they twist and distort God's word. And verse 17, he's going to say that they lead other people away from Jesus. That's our enemy, Veritas. Okay, maybe the greatest enemy we have to guarding our minds. Okay, we're going to draw out some practical application of this in short order. But what specific promise of God are they rejecting that would be important for us to consider today? Verse 4, they're saying, well, where is his coming? 
So we're talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated the first coming, right, at Christmas. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is coming back again to the earth to judge the living and the dead, and then to restore creation to the way it was before the fall, and even better than that. That's the promise that they're rejecting. And Jesus gives us this promise through his own lips. In Matthew 24, he says, This is why you also are to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's the promise that the scoffers blatantly reject. Now, Peter, of course, he's going to offer a counter to their claim, right? They're claiming, well, throw that promise out the window, right? God's not going to fulfill that one. Jesus is not coming back. Well, let's go to verses 5 and 7, see what what Peter has to say about this. He's going to respond with with two comebacks. First, in verses 5 through 7, he says, well, they deliberately overlook this. By the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago, and the earth was brought about from water and through water. Through these... The world of that time perished when it was flooded. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Okay, what's Peter doing here? Understand what the scoffers are doing. They are questioning the sovereignty and truthfulness of God's word. What Peter is doing in these verses is he is establishing the sovereignty and truthfulness of God's word, okay? Look, verse five, water in a loose sense, it was used as an instrument of creation by God. If you go back to the Genesis story, when Moses picks it up, there's not nothing on the earth. It's certainly um, chaos and disorder, but he says, well, God's spirit was hovering over the watery depths. The water was there. And it was by gathering up the waters and separating them that God created the earth and the sky. So he added order to creation through the water, right? The result is that God's word was the instrument that he used in creation. Verse 6, well, that's a reference to the flood, right? Genesis 6 through 8. And then verse 7, he says, well, the same word that created the earth and destroyed it once, it's going to destroy it again at the second coming of Jesus Christ. So God created the earth by his word and water. He destroyed the earth by his word and water and he's going to destroy it again by his word and fire. God does what his word says it will do. Okay, that's Peter's point here. The scoffers are saying, you can't trust God's promises. Peter's saying, no, God's word does exactly what he says it will do. That's his first counter to their claim. His second one is in verses 8 through 9. He says, well, dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. So the objection is out there. Okay, so you say that God's word is faithful. You say that we can believe in his promises, but man, it's taking an awful long time for him to fulfill some of these promises. And Peter is saying, well, listen, God doesn't exist in the same limits of time that we exist. Okay, so you can't really look at time the same lens as God looks at time, right? That's kind of what he's saying to these scoffers, right? He's got a very different perspective on time. And so what some, i.e. the scoffers, consider delay, well, it's actually a display of God's mercy and patience, right? He's not trying to frustrate you with this delay. 
It's to give time for people to repent and come to him. And there's a little bit of irony in this, right? Because the scoffers use God's patience against him when it actually should lead them to him in repentance. So here's your second, second key to guarding your mind. Take all of what Peter's saying in verses five through nine. Your clearest picture of reality, Veritas, is God's word. Your clearest picture of reality is God's word. These scoffers are seeing the world through a completely different lens. And as a result, their thinking is distorted. But in order for your thinking to be undistorted, you have to be able to see reality. And you most clearly see reality through the lens of God's word. More specifically, you most clearly see reality through the lens of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And much of the world, including these scoffers, they don't take their bearings from the cross. Right? That's, that's the hinge point of human history. Everything else depends on the cross. And they're neglecting that. And as a result, their thinking is distorted. So to guard our mind, we said we need to beware of scoffers and God's word tells us what reality truly is. Let's start working towards some application. But we need to know one thing about these scoffers and about the world around you before we get to that. And here it is. You need to know that you're always being indoctrinated. Okay? Your value system, your belief system is always being in, informed and formed, no matter what context you're in. Everyone has absorbed some beliefs, right? Some values, some way of seeing the world around them. It's happening all the time. It's happening in homes, it's happening in schools, in workplaces, in neighborhoods. It's happening all the time. Your mind and your heart are constantly being formed. Now understand the implication of that. If that's true, and, and the Bible would say that it's true, there are rival concepts of reality that you're constantly fighting against. Okay, let me give you some examples of this. Let's talk about the doctrine of God. What do we believe about God as Christians? Well, the world might say something like this. God doesn't exist. Even if he did, he would be a cruelless, powerless, joy-sapping being. God's word would say, God is the sovereign, all-good creator of the universe, and he does not want any to perish. See the difference? It's a big difference. How about the doctrine of humanity? Human beings are just one more notch in the evolutionary chain. You're free to create whatever limited value and purpose you might have. And gender is just a contrived idea by human beings. God's word would say, well, every human being is created in the image of God, either male or female. Both your imaging of God and your maleness or femaleness speak distinctly to your purpose and value. Talk about the doctrine of Christ. Well, if Jesus even existed, he was no more than a weak and foolish human being. That's what the world would say, something like that. God's word would say Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. He was crucified, died, buried. On the third, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. 
How about the doctrine of salvation? The world might say something like this. If the majority somewhat arbitrarily decide that your faults are too great, you're canceled. You're unredeemable. God's word would say, if you repent and believe in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, God will forgive your iniquity and remember your sin no more. Last one, because it applies to Second Peter here. How about the doctrine of the future? We're accountable to no one. When we die, we die. Therefore, we, must, we might as well just squeeze as much self-pleasure out of this life as possible. God's word would probably say something like this. Jesus will come back to judge the living and the dead, and every single human being will have to give account to him. Veritas, we are always being indoctrinated. So the question is not, are my heart and mind being formed in whatever context you're in? The question is, are my heart and mind being formed by the world and by culture or by God's word in the church? If God's promises, like Ryan talked about last week, if they're sort of your true north, right? They kind of give you bearings for navigating the world around you. Then these rival conceptions of reality are a broken compass. You're lost and confused if those are your bearings for navigating this world. And guys, talk about being confused, trying to wade through the challenges that life throws at us. Think about the last two years. I mean, there are situations where there is no way we could lean on our own understanding and live a life that honors God. With all of the unique and challenging things that the last two years threw at us, we have to have God's word as the lens through which we're viewing those things. And you probably see it coming, but we have to be consistently taking in God's word. Ryan hit on this last week. Mark talked about it. Um, I don't care if you go ahead and download a Bible plan while I'm talking. Do it. It's that important, okay? <laughs> Do it. Because only God's word is going to orient you or maybe reorient you if you get off track to what truth really is. So what else can we do? Obviously, we have to be in God's word, but what else can we do to guard our minds? Well, last week, we kind of focused on what, what to add to your life, right? I talked about, you know, add to your faith these seven different virtues, right? Self-control and endurance and knowledge. This week, I want you to evaluate what's removed from your life. So first question, what are you taking into your mind? What are you taking into your mind? Where are you getting your news from? How much time are you spending on social media? What people are you around? There can be some awfully negative influences to our mind in the form of relationships. Evaluate it all. You know, not too long ago, there were five words that weren't very powerful that are awfully powerful today. Those words, filter, block, delete, unsubscribe, and unfollow. And I'm not joking, guys. Those are really powerful words in guarding your mind today. You know, a couple weeks ago, a friend of mine recommended a podcast to me. He said, yeah, this doctor has some unique views about the pandemic. You really need to, to listen to this podcast. And I just thought in my mind, I thought, you know what? There's a good chance one of two things is going to happen if I listen to it. Either I'm going to agree with this doctor and I'm going to develop so much bitterness and anger in my heart toward the other side 
or I'm gonna disagree with the doctor, and I'm gonna have so much bitterness and anger toward the doctor. So I said, you know what? I gotta pass. I just gotta pass. And you know, there's some people that could listen to that and be fine. But I thought, man, for the sake of my mind, I just gotta not listen to it. So you gotta evaluate what to remove from your life, because re remember, you're constantly being discipled. You're constantly being discipled. Okay, so what are you taking into your mind? It follows, we have to evaluate number two, what are you putting out of your mind? Because the saying is true a lot of times. If garbage comes in, garbage is gonna come out. Is what comes out of your mouth primarily truth? Or is it primarily opinions and controversies and conspiracy theories, critically harsh words? If we're taking in junk to our minds, odds are at least some of that junk is gonna come back out. And it doesn't just negatively affect the people we're talking to. It pollutes our own minds as we speak that stuff. So what are you taking into your mind? What are you putting out of your mind? And third, don't believe everything you think. And guys, confession, this is easily the one that I struggle with the most. This, probably is gonna be my number one resolution for 2022. Don't believe everything you think. And you guys know some of the things that happen, right? The what ifs, the worst case scenarios, the creating the future that doesn't exist. Replaying arguments in our minds over and over and over again with people or entities or organizations that we haven't even talked to, right? We haven't even talked to these people, yet we're just rehearsing arguments in our minds over and over and over again because we disagree with them in some way. Guys, that's a breeding ground for bitterness. A breeding ground for bitterness. And how about the voice of Satan? Sometimes whispering, right? Sometimes screaming, lies, pronouncing condemnation on us, getting us to question or doubt God's promises. Don't believe everything you think. God's word tells us in 2 Corinthians to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought that comes into your mind, take it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And there's really just two simple things you can do to do that. One, just conversational prayer, guys. When those thoughts, those worst case scenarios, there's what ifs, those doubts of God's goodness, whatever it might be, a lie from Satan, just start conversational prayer with God. Just be honest with him. Tell him exactly what you're thinking. Tell him that you, you hate thinking those things, right? None of us love dwelling on things that makes us fearful or anxious. And then ask him to be the Lord of your mind, to be the master of your mind. And as Paul says in Philippians 4, you need to then reorient the focus of your thoughts. In Philippians 4, Paul says, hey, you know, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, you know, if you've got distorted thinking, here's what I want you to do. Set your mind on what is true. Just reorient your mind. Take it off of that thing and put it on something that is true. You guys, for me, I told you I struggle with this. So I have a trigger, and it's Psalm 23. I've told Mark and, and Jeff this and a lot of guys in this room. As soon as I have one of those thoughts in my mind that I know shouldn't be there, I just recite Psalm 23. Force me to memorize Psalm 23, and it puts me in God's word. And it's a great way to just refocus your mind. What are you taking into your mind? What are you putting out? Don't believe everything you think. Let's look at one more key to guarding our minds. I'm going to go back to verse 9, and we're going to read through 13. 
The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but his patience with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and on that day the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, the elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, it is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness, as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So he says, the day of the Lord is coming like a thief. He's talking about that second coming of Jesus Christ when Jesus will come back to judge all of humanity, a day that, let's be clear, Christians, we anticipate with hope, okay? These scoffers see it as a threat, and they should. But as Christians, we see this as a day of hope. Peter says in verse 10, well, it's a threat to the unrepentant because their evil works are gonna be exposed. They think they're, they're getting away with some stuff that God doesn't see, but those evil works are gonna be exposed. And then in verse 13, he says, well, this is a place where righteousness absolutely dwells. Only God's will is done here. And that's why it's a source of hope for God's children. Now, what, what Peter's describing here, it, it's not complete annihilation. He's saying, well, there's some things, you know, the elements, that's the sun, the moon, and the stars. They're going to be completely destroyed. But the picture here is actually going back to kind of a pre-creation status where there's disorder, right? In preparation for the renewal of all of creation. The new heavens and the new earth will come down. If you want a more in-depth picture of that, go to Revelation 21 and 22. It's absolutely beautiful. But what is Peter saying here as it applies to guarding our minds? Here's the third way that you guard your mind. Don't bury your mind in the present. Set it on the future. Okay, don't bury your mind in the present. Set it on the future. I mean, look at, look at what he's saying in this passage. He's saying, you know, let your future determine the way you live in the present. Scoffers, well, Jesus isn't coming back, so to them, you might as well just indulge your sinful desires now. Not so with Christians. In verse 11, he says, well, we believe Jesus actually is coming back, so how should we live right now? Oh, he says holy and godly, and th those are plural terms. Those refer to those virtues back in chapter 1 and, and much more, right? But this collective thought is holy, separated from sin, and godly. We, we are to imitate God. The new heavens and the new earth, they're going to be a place where righteousness dwells, we said, only God's will is done. There is no sin, no injustice, no suffering. And Peter's saying, listen, the person that's going to fit in there, well, it's the person that's holy and godly. He's almost kind of saying, if you had a mindset different than this, you know, living in the present in a way that best fits with the future, that would be kind of like, you know that an organization is going to go bankrupt, but you invest in it anyway. Right? If you say, well, I'm just going to live the way I want right now. Doesn't make any sense. He's saying, so, hey, consider the future. You know the future. Start living like that right now. Now, guys, we, we, we can't miss the evangelistic emphasis from Peter here. So I went back to verse 9. When he says, well, the Lord's not delaying. It's just patience. He's displaying patience so that 
people will come to him and be saved. He revisits that point in verse 15 where he says, we'll consider the patience of our Lord as salvation. The gospel is a message about the future much more than it is a message about the present, guys. Eternity is going to be an awful lot longer than 75 or 80 years that you live on earth. So this is our our last application. How do we not bury our mind in the present? Well, you take that that future-oriented message of the gospel and you share it with as many people as you can. We talked about lists last week, right? Ryan said he's making a list of promises that he comes across in God's word. Make a list of people this week. People that are not saved, that you want to be saved and share the gospel with them in 2022. You know, my, my wife and I recently moved and about a month before we moved, our hot water heater went out and I'm thinking like, oh, why couldn't this happen four weeks from now, you know? The sinful part of me, like, why can't the next tenants just have to deal with this? Well, they have a brand new hot water heater. But $1,100 later, um, had an experience with Doug the plumber. Had Doug come over, put a new hot water heater. And our hot water heater was right off the garage. So I'm working out. He's putting in the hot water heater. We get to talking. And Doug says, uh, well, he asked me what I do. So I said, I'm a pastor. He says, wow. He says, man, it must, must be hard to keep your faith lately especially these last two years, it must be hard to keep your faith. I said, well, you know, Doug, I said, the thing about following Jesus is your best days are always ahead of you. So not, not only is there a reason for faith, but there's a reason for hope, you know, and you can kind of see his wheels turning, um, maybe a little feeling a little awkward. So he goes back into the closet, works on the hot water heater. I said, well, yeah, Doug, I said, we believe that Jesus is coming back. You know, we're going to celebrate Christmas in about a month here, I said, you know, and and that's when Jesus came to the earth as a baby, but we believe he's coming back. And when he comes back, man, he's going to make everything right. He's going to right every wrong in this world. There there aren't going to be any pandemics. There's going to be no suffering, no sin, no injustice in this world. So he's feeling a little bit more awkward. So he goes back into his closet, starts working on the hot water heater again. He comes back out. You you can tell the wheels are turning because he comes back out. He says, well, he says, you know what? He says, all my life, I've been able to fix everything that's broken. But these last two years, there's been a lot of things that I can't fix. And I'm thinking, when am I going to see Doug again? Right? When am I going to see Doug the plumber again? And so I said, well, Doug, that's actually a really good thing. Because what I call that is sin. Right? We all do things wrong. We all make mistakes. I'm sure you've made some mistakes in your life. You're like, oh, yeah, nods his head. I've made some mistakes. I've done some things wrong. Said, well, you can't fix that. Only Jesus Christ can fix that. And that's a really good thing. And, and Doug, that's what I believe. I just believe that we just have to admit our mistakes. Just admit that we can't fix what's most fundamentally wrong about us. And you just say that. And you just confess that to Jesus. And you just trust him to do that work, and he will fix it. And I don't know if we'll ever see Doug again, but I'm glad we had that encounter. And Veritas, I, I just I want us to be a family who unashamedly shares the hope of the gospel in 2022 with every single person in our lives that is not a believer. Unashamedly share the gospel. That's how we can put our minds in the future. 
I want to finish up this chapter. We're not going to go in depth into the last five verses, but Peter kind of gives a summary of the whole book. And I think it's beautiful the way he ends it. So I want to walk you through this. So he says, therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, that's the new heavens and the new earth we're waiting for. He says, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. So the make every effort points back to Ryan's message from last week, right? Make every effort to add to your faith these virtues. And he says, be without spot or blemish in his sight. That's a reference to Old Testament animal sacrifices. Offer an animal as a sacrifice to God and there to be without spot or blemish. Jesus was the sacrificial lamb that was without spot or blemish. So what Peter is saying here is, offer your life as a sacrifice to God. Right? Offer your life as a sacrifice to God. Then verse 15, he goes on, he says, we'll also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. That reference back to verse 9. God is showing patience because he wants people to come to him and repent and be saved. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some matters that are hard to understand, now he's going to talk about the scoffers here. He's going to say the untaught and unstable, they twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard. That's a reference to chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Okay, be on your guard against distorted thinking. Be on your guard against being discipled by these scoffers. So Why? So you're not led away by the air of lawless people and fall from your own stable position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We said that this message is a threat. It's a danger to the scoffers. And Peter here, in one half of a verse, in the first half of verse 18, he's saying, listen, safety is found in moving toward Jesus. Come to him time and time and time again. Don't just try to hold your ground, right? There's a culture that's fighting back. Keep moving toward Jesus. Keep moving toward Jesus. Your salvation and your ability to persevere in the faith, your ability to add to your faith goodness, knowledge, self-control, endurance, godliness, brotherly affection and love, your ability to guard your mind, it's ultimately the work of Jesus Christ. And the one who does the work is the one who gets the glory. And that's why he finishes, to him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the gift of grace that is your word. We would be lost and confused and foolish and weak without you and your word. But with it, we're able to come to you and we're able to see truth. We're able to live a life that honors you. We're able to draw near to you. We're able to experience joy and happiness and the hope of what comes ahead when Jesus will come back to set everything right. Help us, Lord, as a church in 2022 to remember your very great and precious promises, 
to meditate upon them, to memorize them, to study them, to speak them to other people. And in order to do that, Lord, help us to guard our minds as well. Help us to be careful about what we take in and what we put out. Give us discernment in our thoughts. What is honoring to you and what is not honoring to you? And Lord, help us be joyfully bold and unashamed to share the hope of Jesus Christ, our Savior, coming back. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.